Pastor Xavier Reese, noting the simple truths of Jesus as he truly is. The Father spoke many times to attest of the Son. At his baptism, as the Holy Spirit descended upon him, the voice spoke out of heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Here at the Transfiguration, once again, continually bearing witness who Jesus is. Don't let anybody deceive you about who Jesus is. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Apostle Peter answered correctly when Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? At the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, God said Jesus was his beloved Son, in whom he was well pleased. And again, at the Mount of Transfiguration, God called Jesus his Son. But it was also at the Transfiguration that Jesus literally showed the apostles who he was. However, in light of all that, a clear understanding of the coming of the kingdom of God remained somewhat lost in the translation. And so today, Pastor Xavier examines what simple truths we find revealed on the Transfiguration of Jesus from our study of Mark chapter 9. Let's listen. I've entitled the message, A Mountaintop Experience. Everybody needs mountaintop experiences, whether it's in a literal mountain when you go to a retreat or you're off by yourself with the Lord. But a time when God ministers to you and deals with your heart, ministers to you, and you know that you have been with God on a very intimate, personal level, and He's dealt with you. In verse 1, we have the amazing proclamation. He said to them with this backdrop of the second coming, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now this turned them on. I am sure. Peter got a revelation. Blessed thou art, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I, I say thy name is Petros, and upon this Petra, this rock, that I am the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the keys of the kingdom I will give to you. And so Peter opened up the day of Pentecost. Peter went to the house of Cornelius. And Peter was a great man. He was used by privilege by God a lot. And all of a sudden Jesus says, Hey, there's some of you standing here who are not going to die physically before you see the kingdom of God present already here. Now Peter's up again. Hey, I was right. We are going to set up the kingdom. <laughs> and yet that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about having them seen the kingdom thousands of years before its fulfillment. In verse 2, down to verse 8, you have the heavenly visitation. The heavenly visitation in verse 2, he says, After six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to the high mountain apart by themselves. And Mark is the only one that tells us by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Six days. Six days from what? Six days from the confession of Caesarea Philippi that he was a Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice who's going up there. Peter, James, and John. They were the inner circle of Jesus Christ. They had the greater privilege. And so he took them up there. And Luke 9.29 is the only one that tells us in this parallel passage that the transformation, the transfiguration took place while Jesus was praying and it was during prayer that he was transfigured. And the word transfigured is metamorphous. An outward expression of the inner nature. Philippians chapter 2 says that he emptied himself, what? Of his glory or his deity? 
His glory. Jesus never emptied himself of his deity. He was always God. And all of a sudden, before their faces, they are seeing Jesus as who he really is. The inner nature is manifested outwardly. And they saw his glory. Verse 3 says, His clothing became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can, can whiten them. I like that. The emphasis here is on the brightness and purity beyond comparison. Matthew says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Luke says, His countenance was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And then in verse 4, Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they talked with Jesus. All of a sudden, they not only see Jesus transfigured, but they see these two individuals that they have read about, they have heard about. And they are seeing them, I mean, with their visible eyes. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. What's interesting that these men are a beautiful type. You have Elijah, a beautiful type of the church, who is still alive when the Lord returns for her. We'll never die. We're going to be raptured up. And people are going to be looking for us all over the place, but they're not going to find us. Moses is a beautiful type of those who have died in faith before the Lord returns. And you find them both together here. And when the Lord returns for the church, we'll all be together. All those who have died in Christ or have believed and lived for Christ. What did Jesus say? The law and the prophets testify of me. He was fulfilling Old Testament scripture completely through here. Now the cloud in verse 7 came over them and overshadowed them. And the voice came out from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. The cloud is symbolic of the Old Testament. These guys were Jews. The Old Testament Shekinah glory. Exodus. The cloud over the tabernacle. Leading them. Shading them. First Kings 8. Solomon dedicated the temple. And God's Shekinah glory in a cloud filled the temple so much that none of the priests could minister and they ran out. Here's the Shekinah glory. All over again. The Father's witness of the Son. And a voice spoke out, My beloved son, hear him. Matthew 17, 5 says, My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father spoke many times to attest of the son. At his baptism, as the Holy Spirit descended upon him, the voice spoke out of heaven, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here at the transfiguration, once again, in John 12, 28, in the passion of Jesus Christ at the garden, God the Father spoke out there and witnessed of him. Continuously the Father gave confirmation of his Son, that it was in him that he was pleased, that it was in him that man would be redeemed. And so we need to hear that voice from God, each of us, as we walk through life. Continually bearing witness who Jesus is. Don't let anybody deceive you about who Jesus is. Don't let anybody take you away from Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God himself, and he's the only way that you and I can be saved. Now suddenly, verse 8, when 
they had looked around. They saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. Jesus at this time, Matthew 17, 7 says, Jesus came and touched them. And so from verse 2 to verse 8, you had the heavenly vision. It wasn't what they were expecting, was it? They had interpreted into something else. And so in verse 9, down to verse 13, we have the earthly conversation. You have the amazing proclamation, the heavenly visitation, now the earthly conversation. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Notice once again that no matter how tremendous of an experience you have with Jesus, you'll always have to come down from the mountain because that's where we live. That's where God will bring you down so that you can impart what God has given to you to others. For he says we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And so as they came down, they were disputing, questioning, dialoguing with one another, verse 10 says, what rising from the dead meant. Again, they, they didn't know. Peter's already rebuked them. He took them up there. They thought they were going to go to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom. They get this heavenly vision. Um, they were talking about Jesus dying up there too. And, and they still don't understand what it means. Why? Because in their Jewish mind, they only had one mentality. The Messiah is going to set up the kingdom. He's not a suffering Messiah. He's not a Messiah that's going to come two times. He's only coming one time. They had it all boxed and figured. That was their mistake. As it is often ours. And so thinking on what they saw, and I'm sure it came up in the dialogue, they asked Jesus, saying, verse 11, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? And then he answered and told them, Elijah does come first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Now, Jesus here answers what they don't understand. They don't understand the resurrection, and yet in verse 10, the word kept means to keep carefully and faithfully. And so Peter was faithful to what he said about keeping this till after he rose from the dead. Because when Peter wrote his second epistle in chapter 1 verse 16, he says, listen. For we did not follow cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What does he say he saw? The power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What coming? The second coming to set up the kingdom. Peter is referring there to his experience at the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellency glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter let everybody know after this 
And just before he shared that, he says, the Lord has showed me that I'm going to die. I'm going to put off this tent. So I want to share with you, you know, we weren't burned out. We didn't take a tab of acid and go up to the Mount Transfiguration and meditate there. He wasn't a guru. He says, man, it really happened. And we saw him in power and great glory coming back to set up the kingdom. It isn't a fairy tale. It isn't a myth. It happened. And we are communicating and giving to you that which we were commissioned. That's faithfulness. Now, Jesus answers the question of Elijah. They were very well familiar with the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 said that before that great day, God would send the prophet Elijah. The only thing they had missed was that the prophecy of Elijah was twofold. Many of the Old Testament prophecies are twofold, short-term wise, long-term wise. You remember when David wanted to build a house for the Lord and, and then Nathan said, oh, go ahead, David, do whatever you want. And then, you know, David's all excited and then David, Nathan gets home and God says, Nathan, what are you doing? You didn't ask me. He can't build me a house. He's a man of war. He has blood. Tell him that he can't build me a house. But you go tell him that I'm going to build him a house. And I'm going to set up somebody to sit on his throne forever. So Nathan went back and told David, and David, instead of being bummed out, oh, what a, you know, not only has God blessed me, but he's promised me that one of my own descendants shall be on the throne forever. The prophecy was twofold. 2 Samuel 7. He would have Solomon, a son, to sit on the throne, but Israel would apostatize. And the long-term fulfillment would be by his son, Jesus Christ, who would sit upon the throne. To full fulfillment. You remember the 70 weeks of Daniel? Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in Luke 4 when he went into the synagogue. He quoted Isaiah, stopped in the middle of the verse, closed the book. He says, this day is in your hearing, this prophecy is fulfilled. Because he fulfilled the first coming. And then the rest of the prophecy is the long-term second coming. The same thing with Elijah. The first Prophecy fulfillment would be accomplished in the person of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 verse 17, Gabriel told Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, he will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. The second and long-term fulfillment will be by Elijah himself. Literally read Revelation chapter 11. There's two witnesses that are going to bring down fire from heaven, shut up the rains, do all kinds of stuff. One of them's Elijah. He has never died. The other one, we don't know exactly who it's going to be. There are many candidates. It could be Zerubbabel. It could be Joshua. It could be um, Enoch. Enoch has never died. It could be Moses. It could even be John the Beloved. But even if it's Daffy Duck, it doesn't matter. There's going to be two. And one, you can be sure, is Elijah. Now, in the parallel passage of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 14, Jesus plainly says it. He's talking about John the Baptist, that all have the prophets have prophesied uh, concerning the law until John. So John closed the Old Testament canon. John was not a New Testament saint. 
He closed the Old Testament canon. And he says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Turn to Matthew 17. Some chapters over. Verse 11 through 13. Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Now, looking at all these parallel passages and putting it together, first of all, Jesus said here in verse 12, is that Elijah does come first. You're right in your interpretation. But... You're wrong in your understanding. He's first going to come and suffer. The Jews couldn't handle the idea of suffering <laughs> when it came to the kingdom. John the Baptist fulfilled it. In the power and the spirit of Elijah, he herald against Herod for marrying his brother's sisters, and he lost his head. Secondly, in verse 13... He says, but I say to you that Elijah has also come and they did to him whatever they wish as it is written of him. Elijah has come and suffered in John the Baptist, but the connection between verse 12 and 13 is likewise the Son of Man will suffer. So Jesus not only gives the interpretation and the understanding of the prophecy of Malachi, which they did not understand short-term and long-term, but now in the very same context and time, he says, I have now fulfilled the short-term fulfillment of the Messiah, the first coming, the suffering servant, the one who will die. But you have just seen in the Mount of Transfiguration the long-term fulfillment when I come back in my second coming to set up the kingdom which you are expecting now. Do you understand, he says? <laughs> and they go, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's the way we look sometimes. <laughs> so don't feel bad. It's hard to understand God. I don't always understand Him. But that's why he's called us to walk by faith. What a tremendous privilege this mountaintop experience. Cherish your mountaintop experiences. Seek them, but don't make them idols. Don't limit God to a geographical location. Hang loose. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't get caught up with the building. Don't get caught up with anything but Jesus Christ, your living relationship with Him, so that you're always seeing Him as He truly is, God, who is making intercession for you. The believer, like the disciples here, has great privilege beyond the unbeliever. Understanding Things that others do not know. And therefore the greater responsibility falls on us. That we are able to share with others. In very simple, down-to-earth terms. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't go talk to them in King James. Don't go give them all these theological words. Talk to them in English, man. 
We lose our simplicity so quickly. We have great privilege. We have seen Jesus Christ. We need to communicate them clearly to others. The believer by privilege knows many things of God, but some he doesn't understand completely. I mean, there are a lot of things that I see very clearly and, and, you know, and I understand, but there are other things as I read and I study and I go, well, you know, I understand so far and this, but the rest, I don't know. And sometimes we get so proudful and we get so arrogant and we, and we think that we have to have an answer for everything. And so people say, what does it mean here? And you go, oh, well, you know, I mean this uh, and, and it could be this. And, and, uh, and why don't we just say, hey, I don't know. Is that so bad? I need to be reminded. I don't know everything. Ask my wife. <laughs> Ask my children. Ask my staff. Ask me. We don't know everything, but we know a lot. We know a lot about God. What are we doing with it? Better yet, what is it doing to me? Is it transforming me more to the glory of Jesus Christ? Or am I still the same as the day he saved me? Is there a transformation going on? And yet, on the other hand, the believer knows and understands certain truths absolutely clear. And these are the things that we need to concentrate on. And communicate clearly in the love of Jesus Christ to others. We need to take those mountain experiences, those things that God has embedded in our heart, and we know that we know that we know. And we need to get off our little mountain. We need to get out of our little churches. We, get out, we need to get out of our little baggie. And we need to go down from the mountain and give out freely. We need to do that, people. Because the world is dying. And Jesus is coming. Have you forgotten that? Jesus is coming. And every day that I continue to live and wake up, I am amazed that he hasn't returned. Because we live in a very evil and adulterous generation. There is so much catering to our flesh in the church. And if we really understood just a shadow of what we say we do, the world couldn't handle us. They really couldn't. And we need to understand that. And we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, deal with my heart. I know you love me, man. And let me, let me sense that love so that I can love you more. Then I can love people. If I can't sense the love of God for me, I'm never going to love people. There's no chance. There really isn't. And so we need to be open and allow God to just break our hearts, to mold and shape us for His glory. And what He imparts to us, we can freely give to others, and it's a rejoice as we see people come to Christ and we see them grow and we see, ah, just God add to His church daily such as should be saved. That's where it's at, people, and nothing else. And so may the Lord deal with our hearts as we continue to just study His Word, growing in the knowledge 
and in the image of Jesus Christ for his glory and his glory alone. Pastor Xavier Reese, encouraging the followers of Jesus to take the simple truths God has revealed to us to those who have yet to see him. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truths message titled A Mountaintop Experience are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply A Mountaintop Experience. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 